I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is maybe 1969? We're not sure. The album is Hello, Seal, It's Me. The artist is Betty Walker, and my guest is Steve Bluestein. Thank you so much for doing the show. That's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Um, so I love that we were going to talk about Jonathan Winters, and then I kind of made a mistake and had a very bad MP3 that didn't work, and you decided to pick an album that I'd already heard and quite enjoyed. I'm wondering, so is this one of the ones we were talking about that you discovered at, an, at a yard sale? Yes. Uh, I, I don't know if this one was at a yard sale or if it was at Goodwill, but I know I didn't pay more than a dollar for it. Okay, okay. See, and that's that's kind of the situation I had. I found mine in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Yeah. I was buying a pile of them because they cost nothing, mm-hmm. and it turned out to be one I really enjoyed. What what do you like about this album so much? I. I like that it's 40 years old mm-hmm. and I listened to it before you came today mm-hmm. and I was laughing. Mm-hmm. That's what I like. Yeah. That or she's timeless, especially if you're from back east. Mm-hmm. Then you really understand where she's coming from. But so, there's one laugh in this uh, cut uh, that is so funny that it's... Uh, she says, do we tell the audience who we're talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Betty Walker. Betty Walker, yep. who was a comedian in the 60s, and her her uh, modus operandi was that she would come up with a telephone and she would talk to her imaginary friend, Seal. Yeah. And she would say, hello, Seal. <laughs> Seal, oh, did I have a day? Seal, what those? Chickie and Marilyn. Chickie and Marilyn, put the chicken down. Put the chick. It doesn't need to go for a walk. It's dinner. And that was her whole stick. But she, she, the cut that I was listening to today, it was Seal. You know the Gopamans? They got the the son got married. Wait, wait! I'll tell you. Hold. <laughs> the next morning after they got married. She got up, she went to work, he got up, he went to work, after work, he went to his mother's. Wait, hold, he forgot he was married. No, she didn't remind him. I listened to that and I almost I almost peed in my pants, I laughed so hard. I mean, it's that kind of stuff. She's just hilarious. Mm-hmm. And she talks to these imaginary children. She has a whole family. And she's always, uh, she's always has money problems. Yeah. She always has money problems. And she's, to the, I was listening to the album, and she, and she was saying that, uh, Sale, I need, I need $342.28. <laughs> I'm a little overdrawn. <laughs> she's, yes, I had a cushion. I had a cushion. I, of course I never mind what twelve dollars. <laughs> this is just hilarious. Yeah, there's so much like it's it's hard to I mean it's it's proof because we have so few artists who ever just did a phone bit at successfully, you know. Well, uh, Bob Newhart yep. did. Bob yeah. And Shelley also Berman. Shelley Berman. Yeah. But but she, so few. She was the only woman yeah. that did it. Yeah. And she did it. And I remember seeing her on 
the Ed Sullivan show. Really? And okay. just going, who is that? Uh-huh. What is that? You know, and uh-huh. I became a fan, you know, way back. And, and there is nothing about her. She has disappeared off the face of the earth. Yeah. She has passed away. But um, I called Lou Jacoby and I called... Um, uh, George Slaughter and I called a bunch of people in New York, Marilyn Michaels, mm-hmm. and I called him and I said, "Tell me what you know about Betty Walker." And to a person, they said, "I, I don't know anything." Yeah, yeah. It's really, it's that's why I wanted to write something about her because mm-hmm. because uh, she's such a, a phenomenon. Yeah, yeah. It's one of those. Oh, hello, <laughs> we had a dog jump on my, tried to jump on me. Hi, sweetheart. Um, I, I like these comedy mysteries, but they also drive you crazy because when somebody passes away before the internet, sometimes they're gone. Yeah, you know what gone. I mean? And and she's great. She did like panel shows and stuff. She's so funny on those. Oh, too. she was, and she was a regular on the Sullivan show mm-hmm. and on Steve Allen. Okay. I saw her on the Steve Allen show. And I even called Steve Allen's son. Mm-hmm. And nobody knows anything. Nothing. It's very strange. Yeah. It's very strange. Yeah, she died so young, as we were talking about earlier. Only, what, 54? 50, I thought 52. Yeah, so like young. One of those ages. Yeah, so very young. Mm. But brilliant. Brilliantly funny. She released only the two albums. She's on another one. Like She's, like a, she's a performer on another one, but only released two of her own. Yeah, she's on... Um, you don't have to be Jewish, I think. Oh, yes, right. There we go. Yeah, I think you're right. I, yeah. The, you know, I can't find the keys to my house. <laughs> and suddenly this stuff comes up in my head that I remember that I don't understand why I remember it. But mm-hmm. I do. But she was. She was with Lou Jacoby. She was on uh, You Don't Have to Be Jewish. That's amazing. You don't have to be Jewish. <laughs> Is there, can I, I got to tell you, I really actually liked watching you perform her bit. So yeah. I'm wondering like, it, does that come to you easily or is it something you've imagined her doing a lot or how, did you, do you, are you like channeling watching her perform it too? Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a comedian, mm-hmm. so I have a comedy mind. Mm-hmm. It goes in and it stays Just there. sticks. It, yeah. it stays there. I get it. I saw her do the routine once when I was 11 years old mm-hmm. and the next day I just, just was going to neighbor to neighbors going, hello, Seal. Hello, Seal. Oh, he's driving me crazy. He's sick. It's so funny because like if we talk about an so the last time we talked about this album, we talked with somebody who had never even heard of Betty Walker, mm. but she looked in my collection. She's like, that one looks interesting. Send it to me. And so I sent it to her. So I got her first impression out of just thin air. Mm. So now, you know, and we get to talk to you about it and you, you, you knew her, you were not, didn't know her, but you knew of her, you knew her work. You're familiar with her. I'm curious, like, was it, was it just one of those things where you found the album, you remembered her or had you been thinking about her since? No, I, I saw her in the Ed Sullivan show and mm-hmm. it went in the comedy file stuck there yeah and so when i was at the garage sale and i i found the album and i went oh you know it was like one of those oh yeah yeah everybody thought i found like a diamond tiara (laughs) no but i found it and there there's also a second album which i own but i can't find it Mm -hmm. same stuff though is it the same kind of same same yeah that's all she did yeah that kind of stuff and she wrote her own material and which was you know for a woman in the 50s and 60s, that's unheard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, and to, to make your mark in comedy in those eras was unheard of. And she did it. And that's what makes her so interesting. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You have an impressive collection of comedy albums. It was great watching you flip through the ones that I had never even seen before. Yeah, thank you. But you're also on two of them. 
Yes. And I'm, I'd am i like to talk about those a little bit. But first, you have a book. You have a book out. Now, let's I talk about it. I have a book out. Let's talk about it. The, it's, it's called relevant. Memoir of a Nobody. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's uh, it's available on at Barnes & Noble, mm-hmm. on Nook, on Amazon, iBooks, eBooks. I'll come to your house and I'll read it to you. <laughs> Just, and uh, I'm very... Uh, I'm very pleased and surprised and humbled that it was a bestseller in the first week out. That's great. And uh, it already has, I think, 16 five-star reviews on. Perfect. Uh, yeah. And it's a mix of what it's about is uh, I, I, talk, I, I, I talk about all the people I opened for, mm-hmm. like Donna Summer and Barry Manilow and Melissa Manchester and... Uh, 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 Kenny Loggins and Frankie Valley, and I talk about all the all the stuff that went on backstage. And as I was writing, things would come up that would remind me of something that happened in my childhood, and I would start talking about that stuff. And it suddenly the book became like a comedy self help book. Uh huh. <laughs> and so people are telling me that. They're loving, they're laughing, and they're crying. And that's the best review I could get. Because of course. Yeah. I wasn't trying to do that, but the fact that people are reacting that way is, is wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how much of it, uh, well, do the comedy albums at your in come up at all? I'm curious. Uh, I don't, I, you know, that is a whole segment mm-hmm. that I left out because mm-hmm. I was mainly... Uh, mainly uh, focusing on the live performances because the live performances for me were so indelibly sketched into my memory. Mm -hmm. Whereas I was on an album called uh, Out of the Closet. Mm -hmm. And the only thing I remember about that is that someone in the audience was near a mic stand and every time they would laugh. They would kick the mic oh, stand. Oh, shit. So you hear through the album, a thump all oh, through the album. God. Thump all through the album. And it was done at a time when they couldn't remove that. Right, right. And uh, Bruce <laughs> Valanche was on that album. Uh-huh. And, uh, uh, and I can't remember anyone else. But as I'm sitting here, I can picture the studio in my head. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I can remember the bit that I did. Mm-hmm. And, but... Uh, but it wasn't as vi- the memory; those memories weren't as vivid sure. as the live performances. So, uh, memoir of a nobody is is filled with those kind of stories, and I'm uh, and I'm going to be on a book tour starting in September. Wonderful! Yeah, it's great. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I have a publisher now, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, great. it's great. I but the thing, what's crazy to me is you you you. I'm now trying to imagine some of the other stories in it. I have not finished the book, and I apologize for that, but but I'm trying to imagine because it's the most thankless job in comedy, opening for anything, even another comedian, but opening for a, com- uh, a musical act. Well, it, it can be like the audiences for Manilow were really loving and supportive. Okay. He wasn't. <laughs> Kenny, Lo- Kenny Loggins, the audiences were a nightmare uh-huh. for the most part uh-huh. but he was wonderful you know <laughs> and uh yeah th- there was one show in, in uh, lake tahoe and it was the employee show mm-hmm. and all week long it was on sunday night all week long i heard oh we're gonna do the employee show it's gonna be so much fun and 
I had heard about Liza Minnelli's uh, employee show in Vegas and mm-hmm. how you know everybody everybody who was anybody in Vegas came to it. Sure. So <laughs> I was looking forward to it, and sa- Sunday night the the audience, you know, you know, and you can uh, you can always tell what an audience is, is going to be like by the murmur uh-huh. prior to the show. And this was like a jet engine. They were, like, <laughs> and so they finally the lights came down. The, the crowd started screaming, and they said, "Ladies and gentlemen, the Sahara is proud to present Kenny Loggins." <laughs> you know, that just the roof uh-huh. came off uh-huh. with the comedy of boo, <laughs> boo. And I got out on stage, and they were throwing stuff on the no. bottles were flowing, uh, being thrown up on the stage, and they and they were listening. And, oh. I, and at one point, this girl climbed up on the up on the apron, and she she crawled up to me, and then behind me. And, and while I'm on stage, she said, "Get out of my way!" And I looked oh. down at her, and I said, "You know, you're not invisible. They can all see you." And the the, the police came and dragged her off the stage, and. I stood there and said, well, that's 19 minutes. And I got off stage and the stage manager which is, was there and he said to me, congratulations, you just did seven minutes. Oh, <laughs> said, well, it felt like 19 to me. Holy crap. Wow. Is it, what is it? Because you can get, anybody can get real arty about their stand-up. Do you, do you kind of, uh, what's your feeling about your own work as a stand-up when you have to deal with that kind of crap? Oh, I hate it. Yeah. I, you know, I basically <laughs> retired from stand-up mm-hmm. just for that kind. I know I was on the road for almost 30 years. Sure. So it was, it was tough. And, you know, and I started, I started in the big rooms. I was at the comedy store. Mm-hmm. And I got the phone call, you're opening at the Sahara the next night. So I went from the comedy store to the Sahara. And then I became a staple in, in Las Vegas. And I worked at Caesar's Palace and the Sands and the Hacienda and at the MGM Grand and, and all those big hotels. Mm-hmm. And then what happened was the economy turned and they were no longer using opening acts. They were using co-headliners. So Joan Rivers would work mm. with Johnny Carson yeah. or the Smothers Brothers would work with Joan Rivers and they cut out the opening act completely All right, because they needed to bring two names in. So I was forced to go from the MGM Grand, which was completely professional mm-hmm. to, you know, HaHa's Comedy Club in to- Topeka, Kansas. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was a nightmare. And yeah. I was, I was on the road for, you know, 20 years doing that, 10 yep. years doing the other and 20 years doing the comedy clubs working with, psychopaths and you know and living in comedy condos and yeah yeah oh, it was a nightmare so i i finally said you know i don't have to do that anymore yeah i right. don't have to do it so i took the time off and i started writing mm-hmm. and so I, I wrote for tv and i wrote seven plays and then i turned my uh writing to the books and so i have this uh, uh memoir of a nobody now and i actually have three books Memoir of a Nobody. The next book will be another memoir of a nobody, mm-hmm. which is a continuation of the same of different stories. And then a third book called Take My Prostate, Please. <laughs> I love it. Do you after all that though, I mean, is it does it is it still an art to you, stand up? Do you still consider Well, it used to be an art. Okay. But what they're doing now is not an art. My nope. cleaning woman can do five minutes. <laughs> do mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like I uh, the stuff I see at the comedy store, 
it's it's really nauseating what's on yeah. stage today and it's not that they're not funny it's just that no one has a unique voice no one is saying anything of import mm-hmm. and they all sound the same because they're all learning from each other right right and i can instead of like when i started i was learning from uh jack benny sure and and Red Skelton, I, I, those were my the people who I was looking, you know, watching. These young people, these kids today, <laughs> they are learning by sitting in the back of the comedy club and watching the guy on stage. Mm-hmm. And it's all about the crotch and <laughs> uh-huh. and relationships. And, and no one is saying anything funny. And everyone is saying stuff that sounds like it should be funny and it's delivered like it is funny and it's just not funny yeah yeah and i and so i i i'm i used to be very proud to say i was a comedian mm-hmm. and now i say i'm a writer i got you yeah i i can see that what was what was the kind of subject matter you were dealing with because i mean if you're a working writer but you're also traveling so much i feel like do you have to limit yourself in terms of what you're talking about well, i'm curious i, I had to, um a, a unique take on it is that i would get into a city and learn all about what was going on at the, okay. t- the town at that time? Yeah. So I would, uh, I would uh, tailor my act to that area, and mm-hmm. I would, I had stock pieces, and I would just change the names mm-hmm. for the different different cities, and that worked, that worked quite well. For mm-hmm. me, you know. Do you think, uh, based on if you were to get up on stage today, would? I mean, uh, it doesn't sound like you'd want to, but if you were to, do you think you'd have some something to say? Do you feel like you'd still? Well, I um, I was asked to do a show in Palm Springs, mm-hmm. and um, it was a nightmare for me. It was because it, it was 120 degrees every sure. yeah, every day. Yeah, and um, and I you know I had forgotten so much of my material mm-hmm. that I had to start all new. I had to start all new. Yeah. And so what I would do is just go out on stage and start talking, and then finally. I started developing this thing about my age and and relating to what, what it was like when I was younger and what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. And that seemed to work. Uh, and that could be a hook because mm-hmm. no one is no one is doing that. But the thought of getting on a plane and going, <laughs> you know, to yuck yucks is just so unattractive to me. I can only imagine. Like there's a part I've never done stand-up, but when I hear people talk about the travel, there's a part of it is a little romantic to me. But then again, also when you hear somebody say, "Yeah, I did that for thirty years," yeah. I, I whatever romance is probably gone. And you know, and a lot of the comedy clubs are gone, mm-hmm. and I would say sixty percent of the comics are working ships, mm-hmm. cruise ships. And I tell you, quite frankly, I would rather be put to sleep <laughs> to do that. My idea of being trapped in the middle of the ocean with an audience mm-hmm. is my idea of hell. It's just hell. Yeah. And they treat the, and you know, when you worked in Vegas, you were treated with respect mm-hmm. and with, uh, like you were important. And when you work on a cruise ship, you're treated a little less important than the luggage. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine. Oh, you can't. I actually had a friend of mine who's working ships tell me that carnival cruise lines, mm-hmm. Carnival <laughs> does not allow the comedians to bring a suitcase on the ship 
And so they have to bring their clothes in a carry bag. What? What? Yeah. And it, the most demoralizing. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I hope they're paying them a living. No, like, they're, they're not paying them oh, a living. Oh, good God. It's, it's, you know, if, mo- if more people knew about the indignities that, that that's the right word. Mm-hmm. Right? Indignity yeah. that entertainers have to put up with, mm-hmm. they would, I think they would revolt. Right. Yeah. I mean, how, who, what came up, who came up with the idea that you can't bring a suitcase with you? That's insane. You're away for a week. Of course. Yeah. What are you supposed to, you know, perform in your, your pajamas? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Stupid. That's ridiculous. Did you, so going back to Betty Walker for a minute, mm-hmm. I mean, I myself do love character work on stage. Is that something you ever toyed with at all? Oh, all, all the time. Yeah. Okay. You know, my, my, um, Style was I'd say it and then I'd do it. Okay. You know, so uh, uh, there was a joke I had. I said, the strangest thing happened to me. I, I was driving down Laurel Canyon. There was a big sign on the side of the road that said, Lobster Tails, 49 cents. So I gave the guy 49 cents and he said to me, once upon a time, there were two lobsters. <laughs> you know, and so that's saying it and then doing mm-hmm. it. You know. How have I never heard that joke before? I really like that joke. Uh, <laughs> did you, are there any other comics you can think of that you, that weren't the big stars like Jack Benny or Red Skelton, but more like a Betty Walker who you're like, I only saw them a little bit, but they left this indelible imprint um, on me. Not really, no? to tell you the truth. No, it was, I, you know, I, I was born in, I was born in Boston, raised in the projects. Mm-hmm. And, um, but I live in Bel Air now, <laughs> and um, uh, when I when I would see somebody, it would be on the TV, and they sure. and they would always be a headliner. Mm-hmm. So that's you know. What did you draw from them? Because I mean, you because there's a big leap from the time you're doing stand up to the stuff you're talking about was your influence. Like mm. you couldn't be Red Skelton on stage when you were doing stand up. So I'm curious. Like obviously, there's a natural evolution, but is there ever a desire to be more like him, or is it just like, no, this is an influence on me. I'm going to synthesize it into something that works. Yeah, for that's me. exactly the the thing because you can't, you know, it, everything evolves. Yeah. And comedy has evolved. Unfortunately, instead of it becoming smarter, it's become stupider. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, these comedians, there are, there are two kinds of comedians. There's the intrinsically funny comic mm-hmm. who looks at, this is the best example. David Brenner was an intrinsically funny comedian. He was walking down the street in New York City and a manhole blew up and went flying in the air. And David looked over and went, heads. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a mind that sees something and then can turn it into a, a comedian, yeah. uh, into a comic. Yeah. Then there's another kind of comedian who's learned that if you say seven words in a row mm-hmm. and you stop, the audience will laugh. <laughs> Those are the technicians. Yeah. So uh, there was a reason I was telling you this story, and now I can't remember. <laughs> well, we were ta- you were talking about it, that the comedy's gotten dumber in yeah. general. So, so what's happened is these, these technicians that really don't have a funny bone in their body have trouble getting laughs, and then they found out that penis jokes <laughs> get big laughs and fart jokes get big laughs. And so they, their material started evolving around. And then instead of raising the level 
of the intelligence of the audience, what they did was they brought the audiences down mm -hmm. to their level. And then as the comedy clubs became popular um, and then faded, as they faded, the club owners became desperate, right? Mm -hmm. And so instead of paying a good comic $1,000, they would bump up a mediocre comic to $500, you know, who was making sure. 200 So the whole level of comedy just began to slump. And yep. there are a few standouts now. Bill Burr is great. Mm -hmm. And, and um, I love Chris Rock. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, there, there are some wonderful comics coming up. But the ones in the clubs, are, they're just awful. Yeah. Do you go often to I check it out? I would rather have a root canal <laughs> than spend an hour in a comedy club. <laughs> I would say, take my appendix out, no anesthesia, <laughs> than sit in a comedy club. Because you know it's not for you now. It's not for me. Yeah. yeah it's not for me. Uh, it was, uh, you know... I don't know if you know who Pat Proft is, but... I only know the name. I won't claim to recall right. who it is. But Pat, Pat wrote, uh, uh, wrote uh, Airplane and mm, sure. uh, all those Zucker films. Mm -hmm. And he was started at the Comedy Store with me in 72. And we've remained friends to this day. And he said to me the other day, what we had in the 70s was magic. Mm -hmm. and, and when we were there, I would say to Pat all the time... We, we should be writing this down. We should be writing because I knew that we were making history, but I didn't really know that it was going to be that monumental. Sure. I, sure. You know, and plus, we were all involved in getting our own careers going. Of course. So we never thought that anything that we would be doing would be. And now we realize that it's so important, especially with shows like uh, I'm dying up here, mm -hmm. yeah. which are to, which are to the seventies in comedy, like what I am to Swan Lake. I mean, <laughs> it, there is absolutely no relation with what they're writing and yeah. what we experienced. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a travesty. I've been wondering about that too. Cause I, I watched a bit of it and I'm like, this is an interesting take, but it, I mean, I know you've got to dramatize, but it's also funny to make a drama about comedy, but it's just, what are they getting most wrong? Things like that. Mitzi. Yeah. Mitzi Shore. Yeah. The character that, and they're saying, well, it's not based on Mitzi. And then words that Mitzi had, had came out of her mouth are coming out of the character's uh -huh. mouth. It's not, it, she is so completely wrong mm -hmm. that when I saw it, I, I shut the TV off. I said, that, I can't watch this. Yeah. I can't watch it. And I was interviewed for that book, because it came mm -hmm. from a book on that sofa right there. I mm -hmm. was interviewed for it. And the book got it mostly right. Mm -hmm. uh, he had to dramatize it. And so he, he um, created an arc with uh, Steve Lubetkin's death and, mm -hmm. and, and that being the th driving force, which really wasn't the driving force. Right. Lubetkin was a, a disturbed person who killed himself because... Uh, he was a disturbed person. Yeah. It wasn't because he wasn't getting times at the comedy store. Right, right. You know, uh, I mean, I would see Steve around town and he would say, I'm working on my film. I'm working on my... And that went on for like five years. I'm working mm -hmm. on my film every time I'd see him. And and, and he would get more and more manic. You know, mm -hmm. so when I, I was in New York working at a club and I, I heard on the news that a co 
comic had jumped off the comedy off the the Hyatt. I called the comedy store and said, "Who was it?" And they said, "Steve Lubetkin." I went, "Oh yeah, right." Yeah, you know, it wasn't a surprise. Yeah, it, like when Freddie killed Freddie Prince killed mm-hmm. himself. That was a shock to me. I had spoken to him two weeks before. Oof. Yeah, and you know, and I knew he was depressed. He said to me, "He was this is at the height of Chico and the Man," and mm-hmm. I said, "Freddie, what's the matter?" Oh, Steve, I'm so depressed. Why? I don't know. I'm just you know, and so I was. And when Robin killed himself, mm-hmm. that was a complete shock to me. I was on a plane going to New York, and the plane landed. I turned on my phone. The first thing I saw was Robin. Ki- Robin Williams kills himself, and I just had to sit down. Yeah, I just had to sit down. I. You know, because I knew Robin, and, mm-hmm. and we worked together at the comedy store, and and I just it it just pained me. It pained me that someone that gifted mm-hmm. would end it so you know. Right. Does there are there people throughout those years that you met or ran ran across, dealt with, or just knew about who, in your opinion, should be more famous? Should be just a shit ton more famous? Oh yeah, you the, you want to see the list? It's written <laughs> on toilet paper in <laughs> yeah. my, on my bathroom. <laughs> yeah, there's 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 a, a a female comic in 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 San Francisco called uh, Karen Babbitt who mm-hmm. is really bright and and uh, there's. Um, of course, you know when you put me on the spotlight. Of course, this, I know. I, can I know. Never remember. I didn't know I was going to ask it either. <laughs> but you know, Johnny Dark is uh, Johnny Dark is a wonderful guy, and he's uh, just never gotten the breaks. And he was on he was on Letterman as the oldest page at uh, NBC CBS, mm-hmm. and he was at a reoccurring. But Johnny was a stand-up. He was a singer first, then became a, oh. a comic when he started hanging out at the comedy store. And he's never really pushed, you know, through to to fame. Um, uh, who else? Yeah, I, I can't think. No, that. that I mean, I, I'm just always curious because I know that if I asked anybody else who was like a peer of yours, they would probably have their own list too. And I'm always curious who. who oh people yeah, if pick, you had you know? asked me before. Yeah, if I'd I had given you some time. I, yeah. <laughs> I would have I would have written it down. This is not on you. This was on me. It was All just right, like, ah, cool. this would be interesting. And then <laughs> put put the pressure on. Didn't mean to though. Um, so we were talking earlier a little bit about we both know Rusty Warren, mm-hmm. which is great. I like meeting people who know Rusty. Are there are there any? Have you ever gone out of your way? Because again, you started in comedy at a pretty good period where there's still some of those guys left who are still you still could have talked to like, I don't know when Red Skelton passed away, but Bob Hope's still around. Was there anybody, any classic person you got to meet like a hero? Oh yeah. yeah. Buddy Hackett. Oh, great. Buddy Hackett, uh, Sandy Hackett, who's mm-hmm. Buddy's son, uh, is a friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I was working in Vegas and mm-hmm. Buddy was working in Vegas and Sandy said, come on, we're going to see my father. And I went, Oh God, I don't <laughs> want to go see, I don't want to go see his father. And he took me to the show and his father was brilliant yeah and as contemporary as any comic working any young 20 year old comic working at the time mm-hmm. and uh i was so blown away and so thrilled to get to witness that and so sandy took me backstage and we went into buddy's dressing room and sandy said tell the duck story <laughs> and in my book memoir of a nobody i tell the story 
about telling this story to Buddy Hackett and what happened and how hard he laughed. And he actually laughed so hard that he fell off the sofa. <laughs> and that was like a magic moment of for course. me. Of course. And a- another magic moment was when I was opening for Donna Summer. Mm-hmm. And this is at the height of her disco fame, mm-hmm. the height. And after our first show, she came back to my dressing room and she took both my hands and she said, I just want to tell you how happy we are that you're on the show with us. Mm-hmm. And it was the nicest gesture that's ever been done to me as an opening act. Yeah. It really. No, that's pretty beautiful. Pretty. And she was from Roxbury, Mass. Mm-hmm. And oh, okay. I was from Chelsea, Mass. Okay. So we would laugh that we're just a couple of kids from Boston <laughs> having a good time in Vegas. That's amazing. Yeah, it was wonderful. That's nice. That's really good. How about, did you get to write for anybody that, like, maybe... Well, I wrote for Joan Rivers. Sure. Shoot. And I wrote for Marilyn Michaels. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, I wrote for Carol Hughes. Mm -hmm. Um, The best joke, my most famous joke I wrote for Joan Rivers Mm -hmm. was, Elizabeth Taylor's so so fat, I took her to McDonald's, she got stuck in the arch. (laughs) Is that on one of the albums? Is that on her? I, uh, she did it on the Tonight oh, Show. Oh, she did it on the Tonight Show. Okay. Because yeah. oh, I know I've heard it. That's really. Yeah. <laughs> and then when she passed, uh-huh. um, the joke was quoted by Dick Cavett. Really? <laughs> and I was just thrilled. Uh-huh. I was, it, it was like, it was like, like the highlight of my life. Yeah. To have Dick Cavett quote one of my jokes. That's pretty great. Is yeah. it, is it? Good enough to know that it's your joke because you obviously got paid for it and it's also still being recognized. Is it okay that it's somebody else's joke yeah, for you? Yeah, I mean, you don't care. No, it's you know, it's like you have a little baby and you you put it up for adoption. <laughs> Somebody picks it up and you're, you're no less proud of the still, baby, right? You're still you're still a parent. <laughs> I'd never heard it put that way, but that's kind of perfect. That's really yeah. good. <laughs> Do you have? I'm curious because this comes up more and more for your own work. Like, yeah. have you? archived your stuff like are there is a bunch of video and audio archives your own writing if you wrote much well uh video and video and audio i had all you know every time i did a tv show i always got a tape of the show and then so i ended up with a you know a a, an office full of videotapes i bet yeah and you know i said i don't i'm never going to look at these Mm -hmm. so i gave i donated them all to the uh, museum, the television museum. Oh, great. So they're archived there. And the TV scripts that I wrote, I archived to, at the Writers Guild, at great. the Writers Guild Library. And in terms of archiving my, my own career, I did that in Memoir of a Nobody, <laughs> available on Amazon.com. Master of the plug. Yes. Should we pause for a second? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Um, okay, so we're talking about archiving. Um well, shit, I had a question for you and then I just completely lost it. That's that's real good. Good interviewing. I got thrown by a phone. Um, <clears throat> let's see. Do you mind if I grab the album for a second? I sure. want to take a look at it. Do you have, off of this album, off of Hello, Seal, It's Me, do you have a favorite bit? I mean, you quoted... Uh, oh, the one I quoted mm-hmm. about the, the wedding. Mm-hmm. That's the one that just made me howl. And, you know, I've had comedians come over to the house mm-hmm. and... I said, "Do you ever hear Betty Walker?" And nobody's heard of it. And I would play that cut, and mm-hmm. they would be screaming. That's you know? great. Yeah, that's so good. Uh, I'm curious in terms of so growing up. We did talk briefly about the first family. I don't get mm-hmm. to ask people too much about that. Uh, actually, 
let's skip back a second before we get to that. What kind of comedy was in your house growing up? None. 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 You just had access to TV. I, my mother was, uh, my, I, my mother was anti-show business, anti-funny. Oh no. <laughs> and in the 35 or 40 years that I did stand up, never came to a single show. Ugh. Woof. Woof. Uh, and my parents were divorced. Mm -hmm. My father, now this is interesting. My father had a sense of humor, as did my uncles on my father's side and my cousins on my father's side. My mother's side is its just like a dust bowl there, you know, and mm -hmm. it's just nothing. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but uh, my family is from Russia, and they're from Odessa, my grandfather, mm -hmm. my grandparent. So I have a Russian travel agent, and we were talking. I said, oh, you know, my family's from Russia. And he said well, where are you from? And I said, well, they're from Odessa. And he said to me, well, then you must have a good sense of humor. <laughs> and I said, why? He said, Odessans are known for their sense of humor. Interesting. And that they uh, have a comedy festival in Odessa every year and has been going on for decades. Wow. And I said, do you know what I do for a living? And he said, no. I said, I'm a comedian and a comedy writer. And he said, well, of course you are. <laughs> That's amazing. Isn't it? I want to go to a Russian comedy festival. Oh, Holy yeah. crap. You know, the borscht is so hot. <laughs> That's amazing. That's fantastic. I, 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 love hearing, I love the idea that this whole region is known for being funny, too. That's mm. the funniest thing to me. Um, so no comedy in the household growing up. What the... What, what, why then? Why did, what, what were you so drawn to then? Well, you know, you know, we were talking about intrinsically funny. Mm -hmm. I'm one of those intrinsically funny people mm -hmm. that I, I just see stuff and it's funny to me. I find the funny in it. And if you look at my high school yearbook, it says to the funniest guy, to the guy who made me laugh. And yeah. it's, I've always had that personality. And I, uh, in college, I started developing these because I, I went to Emerson College and I oh. went... And I went and I was in the theater department and I started developing these phone bits, mm -hmm. you know, these phone bits. And the, the premise being, uh, what would it be like if there was a phone when the Bible was being written? <laughs> and it would go something like this. <laughs> Hello, Mrs. Christ. Yeah, yeah, this is Mr. Gopin from the Hebrew school. Listen, you're going to have to come and pick up Jesus. Well, he's been causing trouble in class. Uh, if, well, if he's been walking on water. The other kids tried it; they drowned. <laughs> you know, great. Yeah. So, so, and the, and so, I was developing all this stuff, mm -hmm. and I went to school with Henry Winkler. Oh, okay. And uh, there was one night in particular. I remember Henry and I and and a bunch of people were sitting at the Kappa Sorority House, mm -hmm. and there was an ironing board set up and mm -hmm. somebody put a, a flip-flop you know a, a shoe mm -hmm. on the ironing board and henry picked up the flip-flop and threw it to me and he said do something with this <laughs> and i improvised 20 minutes with the flip-flop <laughs> oh my god and henry looked at me and he said that's a gift mm -hmm. he said mm -hmm. that's a gift yeah and you know it's you know, but you know the psychological damage that had been done to me as a child was so deep that even with the gift, it was hard to, you know, to understand. Mm -hmm. You know, when I get 
people calling me up says your book your memoir of a nobody it's so funny mm-hmm. i just i look at them and i said what do you mean i don't understand mm-hmm. why is it funny it well and then somebody explained to me he said that because it's my story and i've read them so many times it's no longer funny to me but mm-hmm. to someone who's reading it for the first time it's refreshing and fun now you've read part of it yes yeah did you laugh yeah yeah what did you laugh at it's probably i just i have to feel i feel like it's because the problem is i have a dark sense of humor so mm. i feel like anything that, that was a little bit on the dark side is what makes me doesn't matter you know what, what i mean yeah but did you laugh did you get to take uh the three-parter about going to paris and losing my tooth no wait a minute i don't think so All right. did, I you, apologize. did you get to the one about taking my mother to australia yes yes yeah that's an absolute true story that's hilarious <laughs> it's an absolute verbatim as it <laughs> happens Point by point story. My God. Yeah. See, well, I mean, I mean, that could be part of it too, though. I mean, if you have that good of recall of something like that, oh, it's I don't a, know. You know, it's, you know, it, and, and what's so funny is that I, um, I am having trouble re- recalling things like where my keys are on my tombstone is going to say, where's my phone. <laughs> and I, you know, I, I, I went to Ralph's two weeks ago and I went to a parking space. The car wasn't there, and I completely oh, freaked shit. out. Uh-huh. Ran upstairs, and my car's been stolen. And he said, "No, it's not." I said, "Yes, it's." Th-. And he said, "Show me." And I took him down. He said, "My car was right here." And he sh- takes his phone out, and he says, "Is this your car?" Mm-hmm. I said, "Yeah." He says, "It's upstairs. You're on the wrong level." <laughs> oh, no. But there are certain things that the details are so drilled in mm-hmm. to my memory that I just I mean there's a story in the book memoir of a nobody mm-hmm. that um, I was so small that the light switch was way above my head mm-hmm. and I remember I can re- see it as I'm sitting here talking to you see myself in diapers sitting on a phone book eating Cheerios at the table with my parents fighting in the background yeah I can see it in my head. Yeah. It was so, so burned into my, I actually wrote in the book that I could remember the first day that I could remember. Yeah. Yeah. I woke up one day and went, Oh, wait a minute. That was a yesterday. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah. yeah I remember that, that, that feeling. It was amazing. I, those, those kind of things. I, I don't know how common they are with comics, but I mean, I'm a comedy writer and I've got some fair recalls, some very early things too. And I feel like that stuff is critical to a lot of things, but one of them is empathy. And I think being a good comedy writer involves at least having empathy. Even if you don't write in an empathetic way, you have to understand other people and assume they feel the same way and have had similar experiences. Well, that's, that's deep. (laughs) I, I, um, there's, there's a fine line because in my stand-up, I would talk to the audience mm-hmm. because I did it because I got so bored about saying the same things over and over and over again mm-hmm. that I, I would say the things over and over again. Then I would stop and I would just visit with the audience and just improvise for 20 minutes in yeah. the middle of the set. But there were, there, I, there were rules that I knew that you couldn't... Cancer is not... Mm-hmm. Someone, what do you do? I work at a cancer institute. Okay, and what do you do? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You know, you just don't mind those areas because there's nobody, there's nothing funny about that. Mm-hmm. I once, this is a true story, I once was working at a club and there was a blind guy mm-hmm. 
with a seeing-eye dog mm -hmm. sitting on the ring, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I was on stage, and he was right there. Right there, yeah. And I'm starting my act, and I'm talking, and is the, you suck! <laughs> oh, God. And I did one... Get your blind, get your seeing eye dog and get the fuck. Oh, sorry. <laughs> no, you're get fine. Out, you can swear. <laughs> get out of here. Yeah. The audience turned like they were on a, like they were on a turntable. Of course they did. Of course they did. And it was the worst set. Oh, it no. actually ended up so bad that we had to have a police escort oh, to get out of town. Geez. That's how bad it was. Wow. Yeah. I, I, my friend, my producer, Gary Bernstein happened to have come up to, uh, to the show. And when I got off stage, he said, we got to get out of here. I said, why? He said, the police are here. There's, they've, there's, a, there's a threat against your life. I, and the police car followed us out right out to the edge Jesus. of town. Jesus. Yeah. That's oh why I don't do comedy anymore. Yeah, I got it. I got it. Yeah. Now you, you've turned me off of even trying. <laughs> uh, yo, that's a lie. I would so never even try. So who do you write comedy for? I write comedy for myself. I don't write it for anybody that I know. I just, I make my own stuff. I've been making movies and short films and, mm. and sketch comedy albums for 15 plus years now. You should go to Fred Willard's sketch workshop. I would love to do that just to meet Fred Willard, but yeah, I would love to do that. Yeah, That's not Monday a bad idea. Nights. Yeah? Yeah. I just brought somebody else in. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mary, who uh, runs the class, is a good friend. Mm -hmm. And I'll, I'll just make a phone call. Yeah, that'd, yeah. Be, that'd be amazing. But you have to bring sketches in that you Okay. Can... I've got a ton. I yeah. do have a ton sitting around working on a comedy album now. I'll advertise that at the end because it doesn't have a name yet. That's not true, but we're, we're promoting your thing. Right. We're we're, we, uh, until what are we promoting? I think it's a book. Called Memoir of a Nobody. I think that's what it's called. Available on Amazon.com. <laughs> Ebooks, iBooks. Wait, is there an audiobook? There isn't an audio what? book yet. You yeah. have a voice for it. You have the voice for it. I know, I, but I'm dyslexic. Oh, really? Yeah. So for me to read my own book mm -hmm. would we'll take, take a while. about six and a half years. Mm -hmm. I got gotcha. you. I got gotcha. you. <laughs> but I, I, I'd give it the old college try. You should. You should. I feel like you've got, like I say, you've got the pipes built for that kind of close-up well, listening. I'm Emerson trained. Mm-hmm. Emerson, by the way, the only college I think still that has a comedy degree now. I mean, you can get a comedy degree I from know, Emerson. I know. I'm assuming that's post when you graduated. Yeah, post but when I was graduating. They actually have a campus here in Los Angeles. Now. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. Have you ever drive down Sunset Boulevard? Mm -hmm. Do you see that big building that's like a looks like a big open square in the middle? Yeah. That looks like a table. Mm -hmm. That's Emerson. I did not know that. Yeah. I should know that because I know a lot of Emerson people. That's interesting. Yeah. That's great. I mean, like I said, it's, any... it's the Emerson Mafia. <laughs> it's the Emerson <laughs> Mafia. Yeah. There's so many, so many people I keep meeting. I'm like, well, I guess that honestly should have been where I went to school. Cause well, <laughs> and, and there's a story in my book mm -hmm. called Memoirs of a Nobody mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that um, <laughs> we're trying to get the name in 25 times. Uh -huh, so uh -huh. We're almost there. We're almost there. <laughs> uh, about my applying to Emerson and what my mother did to make sure I didn't get into Emerson. Oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. All right. That's uh But I got in despite her efforts. <laughs> good. <laughs> That's a good thing. was there at the time any well, what did you go there for? What was your actual what was the degree well, you were pursuing? Uh, I I my freshman year I went to University of Miami and mm -hmm. absolutely hated it. Mm -hmm. Hated it. Yeah. Hated Miami, mm -hmm. hated the humidity, Ugh. hated the school. It was too big. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to go to a smaller school. So I applied to Emerson, and I, I was in the theater department. Okay, yeah. yeah. Was there, 
did you look back or what's what's your theater experience out did you do theater before stand-up i'm i'm curious I what the evolution was before stand-up. yeah yeah was it i didn't do stand-up until 1972 72 right? i had never yeah. gotten on stage to do a stand-up before well, was it an open mic i assume no, or what no it was different back then okay in 1972, when you went to the comedy store, Sammy Shore was running the comedy store, and everybody just hung out. Okay. And when I say hung out, it was Barry Levinson, Craig T. Nelson, uh, Jack uh, Jack Riley, uh, Flip Wilson, uh, Red Fox. Holy shit! Um, and they would just all hang out there. Chuck McCann. Pat McCormick. Jesus. We, they, everyone was hanging out at the back of the bar, mm-hmm. and Sammy would say, okay, you go up. Holy crap. And then you go up. Oh, my God. And that's how it went. Wow. And so one night, Sammy said, you go up, and it was me. <laughs> and I went up on stage, and hello, Mrs. Christ. <laughs> and they got huge laughs, and Sammy came up, uh, up to me afterwards, and he said, you keep coming back. You keep <laughs> coming back. You've got the sound. You have the sound. And um, I did. I came back every night. That's nuts. So I, I love that a bit that's pretty, pretty Betty Walker of you got you. Oh, that's pretty. Uh, that's yeah, great. Yeah. I never even thought of that. That's phenomenal. Yeah. That's so good. I mean, I, I just love that it did have, because normally it's, re, it's a boring question that I've actually stopped asking. It's like, well, can you really feel well, like what specifically has influenced you about it? And normally it's like, I don't know. But here, like, it's a pretty clear well, influence. I didn't know until we just, until we discussed, just talked about it. Yeah. Just, we talked about it. Yeah. And uh, and it wasn't until Mitzi took over the comedy store that mm-hmm. it became what it is today. Okay. Because Mitzi insisted on scheduling the comics. Oh, sure. Sure. And then Mitzi put out the light. The, to tell it, the comics when to get off. Mm-hmm. And Mitzi painted the club black and mm-hmm. Mitzi merchandised it. And Mitzi, and it was Jimmy Walker that actually put the club on the map mm-hmm. because at that point, Jimmy was on uh, Good Times. Yeah. And he had a contract with Tandem that they would write material for his stand up. Okay. And so Jimmy would come to the club every night after after shooting all day. All right. And word got out that Jimmy Walker was at the club. Sure. And it was packed every night. Wow. And that turned the club around. That's nuts. That turned the club. Jimmy Walker and Richard Pryor turned the club sure. around. Sure. Shit. That's so good. It's interesting, too, that, that you know, these that, that stand-up just turns on a dime by a woman and two black guys. And it's just so, not, it's not spoken of enough. It's just like, oh no, uh, the, the club changed everything. Let's move on. But no, it's clearly like these three people. No, it's absolutely. So you know, And there's always been this, <clears throat> I don't want to say animosity, but it's uh, uh, when two people butt heads, what would you call that? Uh, 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 antagonism. Yeah, between Bud Friedman of the, Improv mm-hmm. and Mitzi Shore of the comedy sure, store. Sure, sure. Now, there's no doubt that Bud Friedman had the very first club in America, mm-hmm. the Improv in New York City. Yep. Because I was in at that club in 1968. Uh-huh. I went and I saw Robert Klein and Oof. I saw I saw um, uh, I can't think of the I saw them I saw them all mm-hmm. all those New York comics. So Bud had the first, but that club was structured. It was in the theater district, and after the shows, the kids from the show would come to the to the uh, improv, and they would 
sing and they would dance and mm-hmm. then a comedian would come on. It was more like variety. Sure. The Comedy Store was the first club that was exclusively comedy and was called a comedy club. Yeah. You know, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. And so that's where the, the friction comes. I get that. I get that, but uh, yeah, it's 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 these are good things to be recognized. I mean, yeah, a, a dedicated club, and then like you say, a woman who knows. Oh no, this is, has to be a business. This can't just be a hangout. Right, it has to be a. Now, here's something else interesting that nobody knows. Mm-hmm. The very first club outside of Los Angeles, very first comedy club outside, was in La Jolla. Mitzi opened a club called the Comedy Store in La Jolla, and it's still there today. Okay. She wasn't sure that the club would succeed, so she bought a condo. Mm-hmm. So that the comedians could stay at the condo and she wouldn't have to pay for hotels mm-hmm. for them. Mm-hmm. So to this day, whatever crap hole you stay at on the road, mm-hmm. it's called the condo. Comedy. Yeah, right. Okay. Condo. I didn't know that had anything to do with that. That's yeah. fascinating. Good that's God. That's crazy. Is it, does it, well, you, you already said you kind of recognized it at the time. Does it feel good that you were a part of it? Yeah. Like Pat said, it was a magical time. Yeah. It was a magical time. I mean, uh, I, I have memories of hanging out with Chuck McCann. You know? mm-hmm. And one night, Chuck, this woman comes up to Chuck and she says, would you like to go back to my house? And Chuck says, sure. And he runs over to me and he says, you got to come with me. This woman's, this woman's. <laughs> so I went with Chuck and, 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 and uh, uh, Charlie. Oh, God. I know his name like I know my own. Uh, he was Roger Rabbit. Oh, uh, Charles Fleischer. Charles Fleischer. Yeah. Charlie Fleischer. He, we both went mm-hmm. and we're sitting at the table with this woman and she said, do you notice anything different about me? And we said, no. And she said, I only had half a facelift. And then we looked at it and she, one half of her face was 20 years old and the other <laughs> half of her face was like this old grandmother. And I turned to, I turned to Charlie and I said, this is the strangest fucking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, okay, let's. I'd like to do this before uh, we close out with some promotion stuff. So, if you're going to recommend why to hunt down this album and listen to it, mm-hmm. and we can pretty much bet that people haven't heard of Betty Walker, not that many people, what's a good reason to listen to this album? Well, if you like to laugh, mm-hmm. if you're from New York, and if you're Jewish, mm-hmm. yeah, that's the three requirements to, <laughs> to, to, because Betty Walker is every Jewish mother from New York. Yeah. And but her themes are universal. Absolutely. And uh, and it's just a funny album. Mm-hmm. It's just really, really funny. Yeah, that's easy enough. That's yeah. a, there's 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 no higher recommendation for me. Um, so one more time, what's the name of that book? Oh, I we're gonna push my book. Yeah, if that's okay. Oh, I, if I, you don't mind, I I feel like so funny doing this, but. <laughs> The name of the book is Memoir of a Nobody by Steve Bluestein, and it's available at Amazon.com, Nook, Barnes & Noble, iBooks, eBooks, and soon Kindle. Awesome. Wonderful. And then in about six years after you're done reading it, the audiobook, we've established that. Right, and then too. the okay. audiobook someday. <laughs> and I'll come to your house and read it to you. Good. You should, you should make that an option. You should you just have people donate online, and you donate enough money, right. Steve will fly out to I'll you. I'll fly out to you. I, I, I guess I just learned today that I'm going to do a, a book tour. Yes. Starting in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. going to New York City, and then Boston. 
That's awesome. In September, October. So watch out for That's me. That's fun. That's great. So will you do, be doing a reading, I assume? or a, Readings and book signings mm-hmm. and, and, you know. That's great. Selling my jams and <laughs> jams and jellies. Oh, my God, you should. That would be amazing. Um, uh, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. It's really been a joy. You're welcome back anytime, uh, and I won't screw it up next time. You but didn't screw it up. turns out it's an album I love, so I love that we got to talk yeah, about it. Yeah, and, and, and I have... Lots of albums we can uh, yeah, we can talk about. I cannot wait. Um, and then uh, I'll just tell everybody uh, I don't uh, you know check out Instagram. I'm on on Instagram at Jason Klom. I'm talking about all my extra work over the years because that's fun. And then go to bit.ly forward slash record album record albums bit.ly forward slash comedy albums to find celery sound records which is my small sketch comedy record label uh and interestingly enough our first re-release from 1961 is actually going to be a stand-up album but it's going to be very great and you'll enjoy that okay i'd like you to do that again yes but i want you to slow down i'm so bad at slowing down you have to slow down (laughs) people are what do you think people are in their car you think they're going to pull over and drive i i I hope so so what was that website again (laughs) if you go to bit.ly for Forward slash uh, comedy albums. All right. Yes. So it's bit <laughs> dot ly bit dot ly forward, forward slash, slash comedy albums. Comedy albums. Yes. That's dot com. Nope. That's it. Uh, bit dot ly is a is a is a is a URL shortener. So it's the quickest way to get to my my uh, oh, my website. Yes. So it's, it's stupid. I really should have just bought the domain name, which will happen shortly. Oh, you know, I tr- when I had my. Uh, website, mm-hmm. which is stevebluestein.net. Uh-huh. I wanted stevebluestein.com, sure. but somebody had bought it yeah. and tried to sell it to me for $10,000. Of course they did. And I said to them, you know what? Enjoy it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What are you going to put up there? Good. Go ahead. Have fun. That's now, do hilarious. you know that I there's another Steve Bluestein in San Francisco, Uh-huh. and he has the same birthday as me. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Well, what's funny is all the other Jason Kloms who actually pronounce it Clam, uh, of all of them that I found, about three of them are almost exactly my same age. Really? It's, it's very weird. A bunch of us were born the same year. It's very strange. Um, well, that's about it. Thank you guys for listening. And as always, have a good thing. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. Please visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, read our blogs, read our tweets, watch our videos, and read our books. Please subscribe on iTunes, and if you like us, give us a five-star rating and a nice review. You can find us on Facebook.com slash Comedy on Vinyl, Twitter at Comedy on Vinyl, and find everything else at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune into the new Stand Up channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. 